I'd like you to find two places in your Bible this morning. If you would uh, find Psalm 100 and Philippians chapter 3. Get you, give you a chance to find both of those. Psalm 100 and Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start with Psalm 100. It's just two verses to read in Psalm 100 and one verse in Philippians 3. So not a whole lot of reading, particularly at this point for us this morning. Psalm 100, beginning in verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Then in Philippians chapter 3. I want to read the first verse in this portion of scripture. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Psalm 100 and verse 2 says, serve the Lord with gladness. Philippians 3 verse 1 says, rejoice in the Lord. My hope had been today that we would commence our study into the spiritual gifts that I have been promising for so long. However, I am still wrestling through a number of passages regarding this subject. I also haven't completed the assigned reading that I gave myself uh, yet. And I think it would be a mistake to try and embark upon a subject that I have not completed yet. And so I hope you'll be gracious and patient with me. We will get there, but not today. The Lord has something very different in mind for us today. Our theme for this year, as you know, on the whiteboard over there is serving the Lord with gladness. We might say serving the Lord with joy might be another word. Same concept. We've spent a lot of time over the course of the last few months dealing with prerequisites to service Uh, understanding our functions in the local church last year and we've spent much time dealing with all this but one subject that I was greatly impressed uh, by and it was impressed upon my heart this last week is to do with joy and gladness to serve the Lord with joy to rejoice in the Lord scripture is replete with the commands to rejoice in the Lord and again I say rejoice, Paul says. And I believe it's essential to us understanding this matter of joy, what, it is, what is meant by it. And so this morning is a topical message for one of another term, which I have entitled simply walking in the joy of the Lord. Heavenly Father, again, I just come before you for a moment to ask that you would uh, give us the powers of concentration for this allotted time that we would learn tremendous truth about how you would have us to live the sphere in which we now exist because of the Holy Spirit, because of your word, because of your people, this matter of joy. Such a simple truth and yet so many applications and so often hard to live in. Help me, I pray, in these next moments to uh, present that which you have given to me in private, in the office, in a way that would be easy to understand helpful, beneficial to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want us to understand when we talk about this subject of joy is literally this point one, understanding joy. We need to understand what joy is. 
When considering the concept of joy, many will immediately run in their mind to the thought of people with smiling faces, laughter, entertainment perhaps, or humour. Others connect joy with wealth or prosperity, a positive attitude, success, fame, or some good fortune. In fact, a a well-known song written by Hammerstein and Rogers which was made popular by Julie Andrews, suggests that joy can be experienced, can, can be experienced by considering a few of your favourite things. Some of you who know the sound of music are familiar with cream-coloured ponies and crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells. I could sing it, but I won't. And schnitzel with noodles. When the dog bites, when the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad... I simply remember my favourite things and then I don't feel so bad. Now, I don't want you to be singing all the way through the service today. I love that song. I love that musical. But it does have a few theological problems to it. Is that the joy that God is speaking of in the scriptures? Is God commanding us to operate with some fleeting emotion that is activated by special memories? Or is it something deeper? I think we know the answer. Most people operate on the premise that joy is derived from our circumstances in life. In fact, even godly men at times can think like this. Men who've been used mightily by God can think incorrectly. King Solomon was such a man, a wise man in many ways, but also a very foolish man. At a time in his life, he believed that joy could be found in temporal aspects of life. I'd like to show it to you. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Probably not a book you turn to every day of your life. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Chapter 2. And Ecclesiastes is a wonderful book that gives us insight into human wisdom versus godly wisdom. And we need to understand that when we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we say, well, Solomon was a very wise man. But in this portion of scripture, we'll find that his wisdom was the wisdom of the world at this point. Later on, we see that God's wisdom came to him in a much greater sense. Let me read chapter two, beginning in verse one. This is Solomon. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. There's the word joy. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with, and we might say, earthly wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. This is what he said, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of men." Man, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. My heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward and all my toil. 
for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. That's an interesting summary of a man who tried everything, everything, more than any of us could try, wealth beyond anybody in this room, uh, uh, women and festivals and wine and you name it, he tried it all. And in his wisdom, his earthly wisdom, he thought, I will find joy and satisfaction in these things. But then if we look at verse 24, 25 and 26, look at his discovery in this passage. Chapter 2 and verse 24. There is nothing better, says Solomon, for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Here's what Solomon is saying in this context. It's great to have all these things, but enjoyment is only found in the person of God. Enjoyment and joy and wisdom and knowledge is from God and in God. The rest is vanity of vanity. So understanding joy, I want to ask this question, what is true joy well after many hours in the study on friday considering this reading every passage in the bible that deals with the subject of joy and gladness and let me say there's many of them that alone took hours i came up with the following definition for our consideration today and i've actually put it on the slideshow here so that you can have it and see where we're headed what is joy well my definition after some study is this joy is that spiritual attitude that springs from a firm belief in the sovereignty and goodness of God and that which results in praise toward God, regardless of all circumstances. I'm going to leave that up there because we're going to go through this in a moment. I want to break this down into some bite-sized truths this morning to help us understand. So first of all, joy is a spiritual attitude. By spiritual attitude, I mean that it denotes something that springs from our inner man. It is not an external display of emotion. That's not joy. Although this will be evident in the joy-filled life, emotion, but it does not come from that. It's a matter of the heart, the inner man, the spiritual aspect to our being. Joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit's presence within. It is something it is not something that we can generate of ourselves. So then here's the truth. If joy is something we cannot generate of ourselves, then it is empowered by the Spirit and therefore exclusive to the believer. True joy. True joy. But may I say to us that I suspect, as it is true in my own life, and probably for you, that many times a Christian knows the presence of joy, but not the fullness of joy. A little bit like the Holy Spirit. We know his presence within, but we do not necessarily walk in it. 
We do not necessarily are led or controlled by the Spirit moment by moment. Joy is the same. It lives, if you like, within because the Spirit is there. But I may not be living in the fullness of joy. Joy, I've written here, springs from a firm belief in the sovereignty and goodness of God. So joy commences in its truest form at salvation. When the Holy Spirit is poured into the believer's life, the Bible tells us, and it is sustained by an ever-growing belief in the character of God. Here are some really important truths for us to understand. Joy is that calm assurance that God is in control and can be trusted in all things. Joy is that calm assurance that God is in control and can be trusted in all things. And I would suggest to us, not suggest, I would tell us today that true joy is only possible on the basis of right theology. Right theology. So let me talk to us about this for a moment. If I am suggesting here that sovereignty, God's sovereignty, the theology of God being in control is critical to our understanding of joy. I need to explain that for us. What do I mean that God is sovereign? I mean that God is in control of absolutely everything in your life and in this world, though from our perspective, we may look and go, what a disaster. God's in control. All that is happening in your life at this very moment, God is in control of it. And we say, but if God was in control, he would do this or that. That is my perception, my subjective position on what I think God should do. This is happening in my life, therefore God ought to do this. Well, Romans tells us, how can that which is formed tell that which has made us that he should do it a certain way? Sovereignty says, I know that he's in control. I know it, even though I may not fully understand it. Understanding this truth is essential to walking in joy, church. In other words, I can rejoice in every circumstance because I know that God is in control. See, when I lose joy, when my joy is not full, when I'm not walking in it, it will probably find its root in the fact that I am dissatisfied with the way things have happened and God's sovereignty over that situation. So I haven't got my work, therefore I can't be joyful. I haven't got finances that I need, I can't be joyful. I'm having conflict at home, I can't be joyful. All of these things come from a heart that says God is not in control. We may not say it. But it certainly stems from that heart. Now, that's not sufficient enough. That's not enough theology yet to understand this matter of joy. Knowing that God is sovereign over all the affairs of my life is one side of that coin. The other truth is that of God's goodness. God's goodness. This means that God is always working for my good though I may not see it that way. There is never a time where he harms or hurts me with evil intent. There is, we're not saying that God doesn't bring trial into our life. We're not saying that God doesn't chasten. We're saying that his intention and his motivation is never my demise, but my building up. 
In fact, it was Jeremiah who re- uh, reported for us in the scripture that it was God who was going for our welfare. It was Paul who said all things work together for good. And we know that passage of scripture. So it is a connection between a firm belief in the sovereignty and the goodness of God. Let me explain why it's both. If God was sovereign, but not good, I would live a life of fear and grave danger. Because if God is sovereign, all powerful, doing whatever he wants, which is true, but is not good, then I ought to be afraid. This is a God who at any moment could destroy me based on his own intentions, based on his own will. And he has the power to do it if God is sovereign but not good. Now, if God is good and not sovereign, I could know intellectually that he is on my side, but realize he has no power to change things for my benefit. That's why the sovereignty and the almighty overseeing power of God and His goodness towards me is critical to my theology as it relates to joy. God is in control, sovereign, and he is working for my welfare. That's his goodness. I can walk in joy knowing that his best intentions for me will be wrought through his unrivaled power. That's how I can have joy. And then we see here, joy results in praise towards God, regardless of all circumstances. True joy transcends the circumstances of life. Did you like that mess up there, Troy? Just said Troy, true joy. True joy transcends the circumstances of life and finds its source in the unfathomable reservoir of God's character. I want to show you this in a practical way. Turn with me to Acts, Acts chapter 16, please. Acts chapter 16. Beginning in verse 16. Paul and Silas and his company. Acts 16 and verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer... We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments, tore their garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Not a particularly encouraging circumstance for a number of believers who love the Lord and are doing his work. If today you are serving the Lord and someone raced in here and took you off to prison... For the simple reason that you were disturbing the peace by preaching the gospel. From our human perspective, that's not fair. God, I'm doing what you want me to do. 
God, this is not fair. They've torn off my clothes. They've, uh, they've hit me with rods. They've put me into the inner prison in stocks. This is not a very pleasant situation. Not a place of happiness. Happiness. And yet a place of joy. Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. I stand this morning in awe of these men. The littlest things in my life steal my joy. The smallest aspects of little trials, of little burdens, of little issues in my life steal my joy day to day. Here are men who have open wounds on their back. They have been falsely accused. One of these men is a Roman citizen, Paul, and is not even allowed to be beaten like this. He doesn't stand up for his rights here. He takes it willingly and then he's put into the middle of the prison, guarded like a fugitive, these men. What a situation. And yet here at midnight, Paul and Silas pray. And they sing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. If that is not joy on display, I don't know what is. And you say, how could they possibly be like that? Well, I would suggest to you that Paul and Silas, who had been falsely accused, beaten with rods, thrown into prison, fastened in stocks, knew that God was in control and that he was working for them. They knew it to such a degree that they didn't say, right, that's it, we're over, this is done, we're quitting the ministry, we're going to take a sabbatical now and we're not coming back, this is over, let's just be here in this gloomy dungeon and as soon as we get out, let's take some time out. In fact, we find out when they do come out that they just go on preaching the gospel. How, how, do, how is that sustained? How is that joy being maintained? It's because they know that God is in control, that whatever happens to me, it's going to be all right because God is in control and he is good. You say, it doesn't seem very good to get beaten with rods. Well, that situation isn't good, but God is. God is good. God is sovereign. It was Paul writing from another prison sometime later who said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known right throughout the imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Philippians 1, 12 to 13. How do you have that attitude? How do you have that joy? How is your life marked by that? It must be in a firm belief in the sovereignty and goodness of God. That results in praise despite being in the prison against all that I would want. And yet I can praise him. Yet I can have joy. This is a joy that the world does not know or is able to express. So I hope that gives you an indication of what joy is and how it comes about. I want to take us to our second point here this morning, and I don't think we'll get through this. It'll probably form the rest of our discussions for next week. But the second point is literally this, experiencing joy. We must understand it, but now experiencing joy. And I'm quite certain we won't get through it. As I have said so many times before, there is a great difference between intellectual knowledge and true experience of something. We can think we know things. We can have knowledge in our head all the time. But that does not necessarily mean we are living 
that knowledge and that truth out. So let me give you a few things to think about here this morning. Experiencing joy. We're going to turn to a number of passages. First of all, joy begins at the point of salvation. Joy begins at the point of salvation. I want to illustrate this, please, in Isaiah chapter 12. So that's a weird place to go to if you're talking about salvation. That's before the Lord Jesus came. Well, interestingly, this passage is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus coming and what he will do and what he'll bring. Isaiah chapter 12. And let me read the first three verses. Isaiah 12. You will say in that day. We have to ask, what day is that day? That day is at the salvation of God's people. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Message of the gospel. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. Verse 3. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Joy, true joy, is found in a relationship, in a connection, in a uniting with God through salvation. No man, no woman, no boy, no girl will ever experience the truest sense of joy outside of Jesus Christ, outside of salvation. And so we, must, we need to test our hearts this morning and say, do I understand what is being preached here? Does this joy make sense to me or is this a foreign concept that I've never really understood? Because that may well give you an indication that you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is that joy. He is that fulfillment. He is the one who puts a song into our mouth and our heart. Joy begins at salvation. Once there was gloom. Once there was the weight of sin and the judgment of God. Now in Christ Jesus, there is joy springing up from the fountain of salvation. Happiness is experienced by all people. Everybody can experience happiness. That is part of God's common grace to all mankind. We can all laugh. We can all find something funny. We can all uh, enjoy, in the, gen- uh, in the general sense, things in life. But it is a fleeting feeling. True and lasting joy is reserved for those who have been saved and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you get a copy of the notes, there's a whole lot more texts we could look at under that first point. Secondly, joy is an attribute of God's kingdom and his spirit. Joy is an attribute of God's kingdom and his spirit. I'd like you to turn with me to Romans chapter 14, please. Romans 14. And in Romans 14, if you find verse 17, follow along as I read. Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy, along with these other attributes, marks the reality of being a member of God's kingdom. It's not manufactured in the heart of man by man. 
It is produced by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is external to us and it comes to live within us. Like we looked at this morning in our Bible study, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us and with him comes joy. With him comes love and righteousness and these other aspects. It is an attribute of God's kingdom and his spirit. We could look at Galatians 5, we won't. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, joy. It is wrong to say, I cannot have joy as a Christian. To say that is to say, I do not have the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the means of joy. Thirdly, for the Christian, the believer, the saint, joy is the result of a heart cleansed from sin. Please turn with me to Psalm 51. Joy is the result of a heart cleansed from sin. I'm sure we know the context of Psalm 51. This is the song, but also the prayer of David, having sinned with Bathsheba. In verse 1, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. David has sinned greatly against the Lord. It's some time later. He has not repented of this sin for perhaps even a year worth of time. And what has been happening is his bones feel like they're breaking. Uh, The spirit of God is moving upon him and convicting him of of this sin, but he's not confessing it. Psalm 32, the parallel passage, tells us that uh, when he's silent, internally it feels like God is just blowing him up, so to speak. And he's fighting against it, fighting against it. And then he says in verse 8, let me hear joy. Let me hear gladness. Let the bones that you have broken through conviction rejoice again. I don't know about you, but when sin is present in the life of a believer and the Holy Spirit comes alongside like that paraclete and begins to move within us and cause us to feel that great sense of guilt over sin, There is an incredible joy that comes from repentance. And you know what? God designed it that way. God designed you to be absolutely miserable until you come back in repentance. God designed it that life doesn't even seem worth living the longer you wait. The longer that you go in that sin and do not repent, life becomes incredibly drear. 
And may I say, there are Christians who have even gone so far as taking their own life because it has become so dark and evil within them because they won't respond to the Holy Spirit of God and his impulses in and they're fighting against it. But oh, the joy. Oh, the joy that comes when we see the gospel again and forgiveness is there like it always is. And the cleansing that comes, there is a joy that comes only from the Lord. If you don't know what I'm speaking of, then perhaps this reality of joy is not even part of your life. Because I find so often, as I sin so often, that there is great joy to be had in coming back to the Lord. And our prayer for wayward Christians is that God would keep on hard hitting them so that they would come back to the truth of who he is and the joy that can be had. Joy is the result of a heart cleansed from sin. I challenge you to find out today if you are not joyful, if you are not prepared to deal with your sin, oh, repent and see the joy that comes from God. Number four. Joy in its fullness is found in the presence of God. Joy is found in the presence of God. Psalm 16 and verse 11. I love this verse so much. Psalm 16 and verse 11. Interestingly, the man we were speaking of in this previous psalm is David. The man we are looking at here who writes this is David. And look at what he has come to know. Psalm 16, verse 11. To God, he says, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In your presence. Being with God. Not God plus, but with God. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And we know that the reality in the scripture is that one day we will be glorified. We will be in his presence and there will then be uh, an, uh, an impossible reality for us to realize in this life. The fullness of joy, in a sense, we can't even understand in his presence. And oh, how I'm looking forward to that. When I see him, when I'm with him, when I can actually touch him, when I can embrace him, when we are together forever in a real and actual sense, when my faith becomes sight, there will be fullness of joy beyond and above anything I can experience in this life. But the greatest joy that I can have in this life is to walk in his presence moment by moment and day by day. We will experience a greater measure of joy. If we would spend concentrated time with the Lord in prayer, in his word, in meditation, in praise, joy in its fullness is found in the presence of God. Number five. Joy in its fullness is also experienced when disciples abide in Christ and obey him. Very connected to the previous one. Joy in its fullness is also experienced when the disciple abides in Christ and obeys him. And you probably guessed we're going to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Let me read just a few verses here. 
beginning in verse 1. Again, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Fullness of joy will be experienced for us as Christ's disciples when we abide in him and obey him, walking in close communion with the Saviour, bearing fruit and obeying his word brings joy to earth's fullest degree. Joy is that spiritual attitude that springs from a firm belief in the sovereignty and goodness of God and that which results in praise toward God regardless of of all circumstances we have five more that we're going to look at next week five more aspects of joy but before we close i just want to ask this question how can i how can you know if i'm walking in the joy of the lord well a good couple of questions to ask is this how do i respond when there's no money in the bank How do I respond when persecutions arise and are rife? How do I respond when I'm in prison for obeying the call of Christ? How do I respond when all earthly blessings are being removed one by one? How do I respond when the fires of refinement burn brightly? One sure way to determine whether you and I are walking in this spiritual joy or engaged in earthly happiness is to take inventory of our responses to suffering and persecution. Joy is known when the world around us, our world is crumbling to pieces and we trust in the power, in the providence, in the sovereignty of God and his goodness towards me so that my soul's song is still praise the Lord. Can I do that? Am I doing that now? Is my heart aflame this morning with joy despite whatever else is going on in my circumstance right now? If that is not the case, then I have lost sight and moved away from the joy, the place of joy in which I'm supposed to live. God has called us to live in this realm of joy. And next week, I'll take us through a number of other aspects of this joy and how it can be experienced and then we're going to look lastly at how we can sustain joy 
How we can maintain the perpetual joy that we're supposed to have because of the Holy Spirit. How is that possible? My hope and prayer this morning is that the start of all of these things would put within us a greater desire to walk in this matter of joy. That's what we're saved to, to be joyful, to serve the Lord with gladness, to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this time in your word. We confess that there are many, many times in all of our lives whereby we lose sight of the joy that is ours, that is ours because of Christ. We don't walk in it. Uh, We don't experience fullness of joy because we allow the circumstances around us to govern and to take control of our thinking, our emotions, our mind. Uh, Lord, we are uh, hemmed in on every side by burdens and discouragements and hardships. And if we focus on those and do not draw from the well of salvation, if we don't drink at the fountain of joy, which is the presence of the Holy Spirit and walking in him, uh, Lord, we are sure to simply exist on the plane of occasional happiness, but no long-lasting true joy. Help us today, Lord, this week, today and the rest of this week to to walk in this matter of joy. Give us opportunities, as hard as it is to pray this, give us opportunities to learn greater depths of joy, greater heights of joy, that our response would be exuberant praise toward our God. Lord, when we sin, when we fail, when we fall, help us to quickly confess and repent that we would have the joy of our salvation restored. And Lord, as we continue to consider this grand subject next week, I pray that we all will have learned some lessons about joy both today and through this week. That we would come ready to learn what else you would have for us from your word regarding this incredible subject of joy. Thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.